Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have an incredible treat for you guys this week. As you may have seen in the title, we have the five-time world champion of chess, a living chess legend, Maxime Vachir Lagrave, and others have called him the Roger Federer of chess, which I think is a better summation than to list every title he's ever won. He is the author of a new book, Mind Master, Winning Lessons from a Champion's Life, along with his co-author, Susan Nynan. He is also, of course, a husband and a dad, and he is joining us here on the podcast. So Grandmaster Vishwanathan Anand, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So you're back from Tata Steel, uh, your 20th trip there. Um, so, of course, I'm eager right. to talk about your book, and I loved the book. But at first, I thought this is probably when you get back from a tournament of that magnitude, I'm guessing you reflect on it a little bit. So I was wondering, Vishy, if you could share a few of your reflections uh, from the trip. Well, um, I obviously had um, a few chances in the tournament. And... Um, the one that went spectacularly wrong was the game with Fabiano. Yes. Yeah, and, unfortunately. Uh, you could even say that probably, yeah, and um, I could even say that, um, I mean, he was obviously playing at a high level, but uh, when you get uh, a gift like this, uh, you can it gives you wings, and uh, he showed <laughs> it with his uh, phenomenal score. But um, that kind of, um, blew my tournament to pieces. If I had uh, won that game or at least drawn it, it would have been a moderately better event. But um, I guess now I'm sort of reconciled. Yeah. So, slightly disappointing event. Yeah. Well, an even score, um, you know, it's uh, it could be better, could be worse, but certainly that, that did look like a, a loss that would sting a little bit. Um, 
even though, uh, you know. Yes, I, um, it did. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, it probably still does if I think about it. So, uh, well, how does um how do how do games generally and tournaments generally as um as as you get older and as your son um you start to to um, live a family life as well? How how do um you reflect on tournaments as compared to when you were younger? Well, I think it's more or less the same. I mean, you come back and um, there is no systematic process. I mean, your brain takes over and it reflects whenever it wants to reflect. Uh, what happens to me is typically I'll be going through the day and then some point my thoughts will go back to some moment in the tournament and then back again. And it, you need about a week or, or two to get over it. Okay. If, uh, uh, if there was a tournament uh, right now, I had like a three-day break, then it would be much faster. Mm-hmm. But um, when you have uh, basically a free month after that, then, um, well, somewhere deep inside, you know that you can take your time doing it. And so uh, it takes longer. Okay. And, and but, what is... Um, I mean, if you have a family, um, I always thought that I would get to the stage where, um, you know, your family would uh, distract you uh, more. That probably does happen but um, invariably I return to the same moment so I guess it's I'm just hardwired to think about the tournaments that um, uh, I played in yeah well I mean prob- I'm guessing t- to reach your level there's um you know the- it's probably a prerequisite to-, to not not let the losses go too lightly or I mean not that again this tournament wasn't you know an even score I know that you were hoping to do better but it's not um I'm sh- it's not a not um awful result in my mind no that's the nice thing that in the end i was able to win one game and uh, it sort of uh, allowed me to put the tournament aside you know nice the uh, Faruja game you're referring to yes yeah so what was your impression um, of playing um with Faruja? what i what struck me was how easily he wins games mm-hmm. uh, i mean he won four games and it has to be said that uh Till the point where he started losing them, it didn't look like he was going to lose an awful lot of them. He just won. I mean, he would play a game. I, I would think, well, he has no particular advantage, and uh, it's just a normal position. I come back later, and then boom! Suddenly, <laughs> uh, he would he was winning. He would win, and uh, it, it obviously shows his huge talent. Uh, the very fact that you win these games effortlessly, or what seems effortlessly, uh, means that um, you are. Um, very talented indeed. And um, so before my game with him, well, it was, there was a rest day. And then I thought that um, I should try to um, have some control because I was also still reeling after this defeat with Fabi. I had had a narrow escape against Vityukov. Um, and I had um, kind of not been in the mood to play the game before that. And so I was reeling a little bit. But... Um, you know, whether or not I succeeded, I would say with the result, it felt okay, but it really depends how the game goes. I mean, if the game goes in a direction you're happy with, then uh, you feel you've recovered. And if the game uh, takes an unexpected course, well, bets are off. I I was very proud that at some moment I had a long think and then uh, I found this Bishop F4 check and um, Bishop takes D6. And in fact, my original idea was to um, bring my rook over, trade the rooks, and uh, it was about equal. And then I saw g5. So I saw g5 um, 
quite late. Uh, but when I saw it, it, it was just obviously the move to play. And um, very slowly, I realized that um, I'm, I wouldn't say almost winning, but much, much better. So, but in the course of the game, it was all very sudden. Um, I'm thinking about a move for quite some time, and then suddenly it hits me that I'm better. You know, you're supposed to be able to judge these things, but right. uh, it kind of fell on me. Yeah, it's an enjoyable game, and um, I, I watched a recap that uh, I am Sagar Shah of Chess Base India did, and uh, he highlighted the move G5, which which was a nice nice positional idea where you started to take control of the the position. Nice. Um, was it was it a conscious decision to sort of um, to steer towards an end game when you play these young phenoms? Uh, Sagar mentioned that Ivan Sokolov actually compared Ali Reza to a young Anand. Um, so, do you actually do you steer towards certain types of positions, or is it just take what comes? No, it's very much take what comes, uh, or at least in this game it was because I couldn't push the direction that much. If you if you, if your opponent plays the F three Nimzo, I, I don't think you have the option to take it into an end game. You just Right. have to play a position and then see where it turns up. In fact, um, I think one or two move, moves before, I realized that my preparation hadn't worked out because uh, he was better, and the computer confirms this. But then he missed a chance, I think, to go on knight b5. Instead, he got the spawn on f3 and played knight e4. And uh, then I had this uh, trick which I noticed, which is bishop f4 check. And, and one way or the other, I'm fine game but um, after that but um, he kind of just rushed in knight um, d6 check and um, and then like I explained before suddenly I was better so uh, and it, by that point it turned out to be an end game but uh, that wasn't the plan at all okay. and with a with a young player like that I know that that you're you're conserving energy in a tournament of that magnitude but would you did you analyze the game with Ali Rosa and would it be typical for you to when you play these uh, young Upstarts. We did analyze it afterwards, uh, but very briefly, um, just on stage and shortly, away, you know, when we collected our jackets, we spoke a little bit, and that was it. I noticed a few people going to the press room and or the players area and actually sitting down on a board and analyzing. But mostly, I would say nobody bothers with that anymore. Right. Um, everyone is, in fact, longing to pick up their phone or, <laughs> and, just, and just see what the computer says. And uh, so this has changed because, of course, when I was uh, Ali Reza's age, um, postmortems were very valuable because that's where you really um, got a lot of your ideas about missed opportunities and feel of the game. And you really wanted to know what your opponent thought of the same game because he's the only one who spent as many hours on it as you did. But um, it's been a long time already that... Um, Postmortems are not that interesting anymore. Yeah, I saw an interview with you where where you mentioned that it, it used to be in the post game press conferences you could present yourself as the authority, but now, now because of the engines, that's harder. I mean, of course, you are the authority, but um, but when we have these uh, monsters in our pockets, is um, you've got to be precise with the variations. Yes, and um, the main thing is almost all the the thoughts you had, the ideas you can try, you can just try it with your computer and. Uh, the engine will tell you something, and that's it. So, uh, uh, postmortems are one of those traditions that uh, kind of have died down. Do you do you find that sad in any way? It's ha- it happened gradually, and now I'm completely used to it. But every once in a while, I will uh, remember the way it used to be, and uh, and you think, well, postmortems were nice, uh, but it was a slower time. And you- somehow, when I was young, 
we seem to have more time to just sit and uh, chat for an hour after the game with your opponent. <laughs> Now everyone to get back home thing and prepare for the next game, and it's uh, it's much faster these days. It feels. What do you think is different? At least I find that you need to prepare a lot more because um, I find that familiarity with something is not a guy. When I was young, generally, if I was familiar with some position and or, or opening, I would just play it. Now you feel the need to check uh, a line here and a line there because um, you know if your opponent has prepared a specific line against it and you're not into the details, uh, you could have a little difficulty. And there's always ground you have to cover, so um, you. I feel that I have to check everything, you know, uh, a bit more often than I used to. Yeah, your quote then, in in Mindmaster that uh, the volume of prep you did for your World Championship match with Kasparov, you you would now do in a day. That that quote blew my mind. E- yes, that's probably overstating the. The time element, but in terms of line moves or the quantity of analysis you did, yes. Uh, some of the conclusions. I mean, I remember Ubi found a fantastic idea. Ubi Lava, my trainer, he found a fantastic idea in the NIM zone. We were very proud of this um, and looking forward to having a chance to sneak it in. And there were many moves that he showed me then that I found very hard to find on my own. Of course. Every move nowadays is tested instantly, and and this is even the case for maybe ten years. Uh, so even an engine from ten years ago finds all the key ideas of that game just instantly. So it's kind of scary that we probably took two weeks, four of us, four human grandmasters, uh, whereas now <laughs> it would be over in a few seconds. Mm. Yeah. Do you? So it's really interesting, and obviously the the level of knowledge about openings due to AI is only accelerating. So how would you you mention in the book also that you envision a role for yourself someday of uh, mentoring young Indian uh, chess talents? Um, how how would you advise that players like Gukesh, who's known to use the the engine a little less than some other than someone maybe like uh, Ali Reza, um, how should they incorporate engines while they're still also focused on improving? Um, in the end. The only thing that matters is what uh, you take in, and I mean, what you take in is what you can accurately reproduce on your own. Uh, you're not going to be able to prepare every single line, so at some point, the conclusions at the end need to make some sense to you. I don't know that there is a formula for this or something that you. I believe every player will inevitably find a way of, um, you know, what works for them, how much uh, computerization they can live with, or how little they can live with, and, and all that. And of course, everything is relative. I mean, uh, Gukesh may consider himself a light user, but uh, compared to me, thirty years ago, he's right. He's out of the park. So, <laughs> um, these things are all relative. But uh, everyone finds their style, and they have access to more or less the same tool, uh, and they, they'll figure it out. So, you don't um, think there's an amount of engine use for a young, um, uh, ambitious grandmaster that would be counterproductive? I think that. Typical idea is to say, or common sense advice is to say, um, don't overdo it on either side. Right. Uh, spend some time with the engine, but also spend some time uh, away from it, so that uh, uh, you are able to um, uh, think for yourself and you get this feeling of uh, what something will feel like at the board. And that's the thing that the engine takes away from you completely. When you work through a, a, a long line, for instance where the engine's evaluation from start to, start to end is equal. 
everything seems to make sense. And then you sit to the board and your more or less uh, in panic seems too weak. I would say terror. <laughs> Because almost every, every move scares the hell out of you. And you can't understand how it seems so lifeless back home. And you tell yourself, well, the computer said equal here, so it must be equal. And therefore, uh, there must be a move and you calm yourself down and you try to start working. I have often been in a situation where uh, I've looked at a line And even though I'm aware of the problem, it still happens sometimes that you you can't focus uh, in the same way without uh, with an engine the way you do without. Everything which seemed obvious and uh, or even the questions you thought not to ask suddenly turn out everything pops up at the board. All the questions pop up the board and clearly none of the answers do. And um, this happened to me a couple of times in Vikings as well. So... Um, that's a common enough occurrence even though i'm aware of the problem and i'm trying to incorporate it to my work so i would say that if you have some thought of what you're going to play uh, try and set it up with the board and if you can rehearse that a bit that's nice but as to how much time you got to spend um, also a generation that grew up in the modern era will work and think differently from me so i'm not sure i can really pass on too many tips what you will do is pass on your experiences i think more right. than uh, specific ideas So on the topic of nerves, Vishy, it's interesting to hear that because from watching you play, you wouldn't know that. And we actually have a related question from a supporter of the podcast. Uh, the way it works here on Perpetual Chess is uh, people who help support the show get advance notice of the guests. So obviously, we have a lot of questions for you, Vishy. I'm only going to be able to pick a few, but one of them I think is apropos in this case. So the question is from Jason Green. Thank you for the support, Jason. And Jason says, Vishy, you always seem so calm and composed at the board. Do you have any tips for amateurs who get nervous at the board and start playing badly because of it how can we remain calm and composed like you okay um first of all i more or less give it away in the book that um, that's not what's happening at the board at all <laughs> right and i also mention in the context of me being a good loser and being a sportsman is uh, of course that is also as far from the truth as you can get um so like i said I, this game with karwana has plagued me since the day i got back and you know it's never ruined the whole day but it keeps popping up and you know that it, you're not come to terms with it and there are other disappointments where i don't feel i look like looking at the opponent i don't feel like looking at the city i don't feel like thinking of the city you know it takes a while for uh, some experiences to heal so i would say that my calm look to the extent that i know of is a facade um <laughs> it's it's practical the more you shout and scream or express yourself in any way you well you simply in, in uh, invite scrutiny and uh, i find that uh, this is unhelpful for me in, in at the disappointing moments obviously the happy ones you don't mind sharing but uh, the disappointing ones the only thing i can say is i have some ideas for um, how to um, calm myself down during a game one of the things i mentioned in the book is um, i felt it's a very good habit to uh, when some dramatic changes have happened and for instance you pass the time control to get out of the board and uh, go and walk for 10 minutes and come back and then play and by the way i did this with karwana we had such a dramatic turn around at the first time control that i <laughs> i went to i went off stage and then fabi was thinking for such a long time that uh, i managed to detach myself and come back so you know mentally i felt i ticked out my boxes but um, apparently not enough hmm. i mean to be fair i mean 
the signs were there that something was not right very, very soon. So, so right after the time control, I couldn't see a single idea for Fabi. I thought he was just busted. And um, then he came up with this move, uh, Knight F3, which I hadn't seen at all. I didn't see the point of that move at all because uh, it seemed to me the knight was as, effect- as effective as he's ever going to get on E5. But he has spotted a new square, for me, which was G5. And um, the fact that I hadn't seen this move itself, well, with hindsight, I, I take it as a warning sign that something is going to go wrong. But, you know, you can't think like that. Right. So I continued playing. And I found, and then I thought for a while myself. So I was doing everything right. All the things I told myself that uh, I should do to avoid a disaster, I was doing. Or at least 90% of them. And then I found knight B3. He went knight G5. I went knight D2. He went bishop E6. And then I found rook D8. And he went king F2. And here I suddenly realized that the, the win I wanted to have was not as easy as I thought. And I just couldn't see, and I started to think, and I spent quite some time, uh, and I couldn't see the way. So what I want to say is, you normally have, you should have some mental steps based on your own experience of what you can do to improve your performance. But when things go wrong, they do. Uh, What can you do? Yeah. Yeah, it does happen. And I know that you mentioned, um, I think it was uh, in, in, the, another recent video with Chess Space India, where where you went through nine of your most famous moments with uh, with Sagar Shah, um, you mentioned um, in your famous uh, ninety three move against Kramnik that when you when your knight started going in the unexpected direction, you could sort of see him react um, and know that that he didn't see the move. Is is that something that that you work on on your level? Where if suddenly there's a bolt from the blue, um, you you try not to to let your opponent see that it was expected. Uh, yes, and the converse as well, where if you have no clue, uh, if something catches you completely off guard, you still try to keep a poker face. But um, yes, I, I, I mean, every little bit helps. And if you can um, uh, give the impression of being flabbergasted by something that uh, you have been waiting for, right. then why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever works. Yes, and um, but it doesn't happen that often. My dream is to have my opponent confidently surprise me at the board and for me to act surprised even though I anticipated the whole thing and I checked it that morning. That's my dream. I'd like to do it once before I retire. But, I'm actually uh, surprised in, in I your... I think I'm going to get the unabridged version. Uh, so I'll probably get some fraction of that, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, in your decades of play, I'm uh, I'm surprised that exact scenario hasn't played out. I mean, certainly it's... Uh, you, you've sprung... It has happened. Oh, good, okay. But... Um, uh, it's been a while. Can you what, uh, can you think of a specific instance? Uh, a lot in junior tournaments, uh, but this was back in the day when our preparation was much more uh, spontaneous. I mean, our preparation was literally us looking at a board for ten minutes and thinking, "Okay, I'm going to do that." Right. So it probably happened much more in that uh, those days. That makes sense. Um, so something I'll, I'll mention it to you later. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so Vishy, we're going to take a quick break to hear about Chessable. 
So you've heard GM Anand talk about Tata Steel, a legendarily strong and storied annual chess tournament. If you go to chessable.com, you can find a free course with 10 tactics per round called from the Masters and Challengers section of the 2020 Tata Steel Chess Tournament. It'll also feature game of the day video analysis from India number three, Super GM Hari Krishna. Did I mention that this is free? So go to chessable.com to check it out. And of course, you can see for yourself what else Chessable has to offer. All of the details will be in the show description. But for now, it is back to the interview. So, Vishy, naturally, a lot of uh, listeners are sort of weekend warrior chess players. Of course, many title players listen as well. But one topic that always comes up when we discuss you, uh, your incredible career, is um, how you've managed to stay so strong into your recent 50th birthday. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd like to read uh, one question related to this. Of course, we had several. Um, so... The question will be from FM Andre Tarakov, but I also got questions from Courtney Fry and Jim Stenner and Coach Jay Stallings. But um, Andre asks, he says, how do you manage to maintain an incredibly high level of play at the age of 50, especially since most of your opponents are half your age? Um, well, why can say reminded me of that rather strongly. Uh, can, do you know who, can you guess who the second oldest participant was? Uh... Wow. Let's see. This year, so far, I'm not thinking of anyone older than Magnus. Um, um, okay, that's actually a good guess, because I believe he was third oldest, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Magnus was the third oldest participant. And um, the second oldest participant was a replacement for someone younger than Magnus. Huh. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Yes, I think someone... Um, or maybe a month uh, older than Magnus in Epomniachi. Okay. Uh, the correct answer is Vitugo. Okay. Wow. I wouldn't have even guessed he's older than Magnus, but yeah. And he's uh, he's actually uh, from 1987, but he was a last minute show because he he replaced Nepo, who who withdrew for the candidate, right? Right. So the next question for you is: um, Do you know how many of the other participants were born when I won my first tournament in my country. Hmm. Well, let's see. I know that was 20 years ago. Well, oh, that you won your first one. Um, well, I mean, uh, Feruja wasn't. Uh, Van Forrest maybe wasn't. Um, Jeffrey Jean. No, you're, I think you're starting at the wrong end. So um, both Magnus and Nepomnishi were born uh, about a year uh, after that. A bit wow. more than a year even. Man, so, <laughs> wow, you're right. Correct. I was starting on the wrong end. Like, answering the first time I not a single participant tournament was born, <laughs> except the minute replacement which you go was uh, two or three years old. <laughs> that's so. That's... Yeah. Sorry. So, well, there's just a funny, just a funny little detail. So that no, I, I asked Yarun, who's the organizer. I said, you know, you, I understand you couldn't find someone from the 70s, but couldn't you find one guy from the 80s? So. Uh, Anyway, so the basic answer to that is I I don't know. I keep I keep working, I keep playing, but I think I keep doing it in the way that I would do it against uh, uh, if I was not, uh, if the age gap didn't exist. So, you know, it's, I can't feel that I do something fundamentally different. Also in my book, I talk uh, at some length about this, that as long as you're not too stuck up on, you know, not fixated on what, how you used to do things and you're willing to adapt, then you move along. And after a while you forget, you forget the age gap. You know, you, it, it's just chess and uh, you learn something new and 
you like it and you know if, if it continues to fascinate you then it uh, it'll work for a while so in what ways do you um, have you adapted i think learning to work with uh, new technology um learning to leave some of my ideas behind because clearly um computers uh, have this habit of strongly confronting you <laughs> and your thoughts or your biases about chess and exposing them if you were but you can can use that in a way you can also use that to experiment and uh, that's the good side i mean computers allow allow us to um explore a lot of our questions uh, in a very nice way i mean this is quite quite well known that most people are more comfortable confiding in a search engine than than they are are in uh, with someone else because um technology isn't judging you when you're doing it mm-hmm. so this is again the thing you don't have to uh, you can ask any chess question no matter how dumb it is because if the computer thing is not going to laugh at you so you don't have to feel embarrassed things like that so it's a nice um, chance as well to uh, find out a lot of the things that you didn't know um the other thing is i try to hang out a lot with uh, some of the younger players uh, so what you- and uh, that helps me keep a breath we think and things how they work and uh, it seems to go but um, to be honest until earlier this year earlier last year i had uh, enough company i had um, a few players from my generation left over and uh, we could exchange impressions and these guys were going along well honestly i think chess wise um, vladimir could clearly have continued but he um, well i understand his decision there's a point you can't, that comes when you want to stop and um, that's the right time for you and that's it um you there is no perfect time you you stop when you want to stop and that's it but uh, i think technically he it wasn't like he was struggling um, he could easily have gone on a bit longer so you don't so i was just for amusement i mean i could i could look at any top 20 list over the past uh 20 to 25 years 30 years um just just to compare but i pulled up uh, october of 2001 top 20 and s- some of the names are uh, you were number 3 mm-hmm. behind uh, kasparov and kramnik in that particular list but morozevich peter leko uh, topalov who's still number 19 uh evgeny berev uh ivanchuk gelfan uh judith polgar do so do you have a sense from from uh sharing meals and um having relationships with all these players if if there's something um if there's something different in your approach these days i i think probably i i just wanted to continue i mean i in the book as well i talk a lot about 2013 and um, in fact the book reminded me a lot about 2013 i mean that was a that was a a good chance to quit and um, but it felt like the wrong moment to quit i mean you shouldn't quit when you're down i think like that um and 2011 to 13 were like one of my longest horror runs so um um albeit with a couple of world titles uh, <laughs> in there but uh, you know <laughs> relatively speaking and um when i came out of that i just felt that i wanted to play now and in fact i felt better than ever before because um i felt that nobody was looking at me and uh, judging me anymore anymore uh, i was so clearly um i was not world champion anymore and uh, it felt like a huge weight was off my back and i i just felt like playing some tournaments uh, without being in the spotlight and um 
it worked out very well. Not in the first tournament. In Zurich, I had as many difficulties as before. But then suddenly in uh, Huntiman Sisk, uh, I won the candidates tournament. And uh, that was a more or less one of my dream tournaments. I mean, one of the tournaments where all I have to do is to think of that tournament venue or I think of that hotel or I think of looking out of that hotel in March and it's the ice everywhere. <laughs> but still, uh, for me, it feels like I, I just have to think of that and I feel like flying because the emotions were so welcome after so long, you know, that um, clearly I relate to that tournament and that experience uh, in a very different way. And and then it my chest stabilized for a while. I no longer felt out of place uh, playing and uh, my confidence came back. I enjoyed playing again. And um, maybe the thing to say is that uh, chess is, is my natural environment. I mean, I, this is what I've been doing all my life and it felt natural to continue playing. And... I'm sorry to keep following up on this, Pashi, just because I feel like um, so many, there's so many players who are still playing. Um, some of the players I mentioned, and of course, at the lower level, the club level, there's just people who feel cognitive decline um, as as years go on. I mean, obviously, it doesn't, it's not necessarily um, a um, a huge decline, but it's there nonetheless. So are there concessions you make in terms of uh, conserving energy when you play or in your approach to studying? I just feel like there must be something. I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you're a, a historic chess talent to begin with. But is there something different in, in your preparation that you sense from from um, others around your age or something that you've changed specifically? Okay, I, I think um, definitely I, I feel it myself, the, the change. One is, uh, after becoming a parent, you can't, um, just can't dominate your thoughts in the way that it used to. And also when you're at home, uh, you can't just spend the whole day playing chess. I mean, you even, even you feel guilty. Forget mm-hmm. about, um, um, you know, your family members calling you, uh, you yourself feel guilty like that and things like that. So the amount of time I can spend on chess is naturally limited and I, or I have to really prioritize my time and figure it out. The other thing is, um, my thoughts don't, just don't uh, stay in chess that long. I mentioned earlier that uh, some bad moments still work their way through my head uh, for a long time. That's true. But um, equally, there are a lot of moments in the day. I, I feel that when I was younger, I used to think about chess a lot more. I used to have this feeling that during the day, endless, endlessly, I'd been playing over some opening or some prep of mine. And uh, Whereas nowadays, unless I sit with a computer and force myself to look at it, uh, it simply doesn't uh, interrupt my thoughts. Um, then clearly there are all sorts of, unex- again, unexpected is the wrong word because it's just happening out of the blue, but um, clearly there's some decline because uh, there are just too many mistakes that I'm unable to anticipate. Mm. And, uh, and here you have no sense of coming. I mean, if it did, then it would be crazy that you don't do it, see it, but I have no sense that it's coming. I feel that everything is going great guns. I feel that I'm looking at everything and then a move happens and you think, well, how on earth could I miss that? So that happens quite a lot. So there are some things like that. But um, equally, I I feel that um, there is some amount of decline and then it stabilizes. Uh, So, you you know, you you don't fall off a cliff. You fall for a while and then you settle down a slightly lower level and you can, if you stabilize, you can move up again. Um, I feel that people shouldn't uh, give up hope that quickly. Having said that, I, I agree that a lot of my colleagues we quit in the wrong order, chronologically speaking. I mean, <laughs> Judith quit, then um, Moro, well, his state is unclear because he plays once in a while, but 
basically he's not very active and i think he switched to some other sport um ivanchuk is still hanging around oh yeah <laughs> uh, boris and boris is doing quite well i mean he's, uh, he's even in rapid and blitz which are very tough formats uh he was doing well though i have this theory that uh, actually the older you get the blitz is the easiest format because um um it it allows you or forces you to just go by your instinct and actually that's the thing that you probably going to lose the world of so um as as kramnik proved luckily yeah exactly yeah well you you so, yourself so proved it in in 2017 as well exactly and for me i'd been hammering away these rapid and blitzes for a while and then suddenly i, I go and win the rapid and uh, uh finish joint second in the blitz and so uh there are nice moments but but still the basic thing is i enjoy playing chess and uh, i enjoy a good result when it happens but um perhaps i'm a bit more relaxed i don't know it's it's very difficult to keep comparing yourself because your your memories of earlier uh, are uh, they're not minute by minute they're more like summaries of what happened a couple of years ago you remember you tend to bunch a lot of moments together in one impression yeah that that makes sense well whatever it is vishy please please keep it up it's um it's amazing to see and you're an inspiration it's an inspiration for so many chess fans um and so you mentioned uh that of course you're you're a dad now and i saw on twitter um a, a little while ago you mentioned that your son akil had taken a, a liking to chess kid yes uh i mean that's very nice for him because he you know sometimes he wants to just have some mindless moves and he'll do that and sometimes he wants to concentrate and play a game and he can do that i think it's one of the fantastic things that you can have this uh playing partner who's almost entirely at your disposition and um uh, he enjoys that a lot uh some days he'll do these in game puzzles he'll do some uh, mate in ones and mate in twos and so on uh but some days he just wants to enjoy a game with the, the thing with the coach watching sometimes he'll switch it off there's so many different ways for him to play that uh, it's more related but uh, when he's in the mood for something he he goes and uh, dabbles there and i'll sit and watch and uh, i have to restrain myself a bit sometimes <laughs> i bet <laughs> you feel like telling him no 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 the other one the other one and so on but you realize okay he's happy uh-huh. has has he uh, has he played any tournaments no not yet he's uh, gone and visited a couple of chess tournaments in chennai if he feels up to playing uh something if he feels like playing something we might let him have a shot but for the moment he's happy like this okay yeah and i enjoyed your reflections in your book about how he he didn't he didn't really like any violence that took took place in sports and uh and that that um that t- put him away from sports and made him more interested in mind games so yeah i just got your text we can- yeah i find it quite interesting that he doesn't um like when he played football he's i think one of the other kids was trying to get the ball for so long i just picked it up and gave it to him <laughs> this is um uh so we had to explain to him no 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 if he doesn't get to touch the ball once you're doing a good job something like that but for him it felt a bit cruel but uh, it's nice he whatever he does what he does he enjoys it it's a age when uh, i think you can enjoy enjoy things in a very natural way and uh, it's nice he's he's very good uh, with his gymnastics and he's incredibly uh, well it seems to me now that he's very very flexible and this is quite embarrassing for someone who's trying very hard to be mm-hmm. and uh, he's uh, hey, he likes drawing he's interested in a lot of things so fun fun uh, time for him 
one other topic, I, w- I want to thank you for being so generous with your time. One other topic I was eager to discuss from your book um, is all of the insight that you shared about world championship matches. And of course, a little bit, in addition to your book, a little bit came to light uh, with the Anon Files. And I recently interviewed uh, GM Ivan Cheparinov, and he, he shed a little light on your, your famous match with Topalov in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated all of that insight. Um, one one thing that's that struck a chord with me in particular was the sort of uh, behind the scenes look at um, what you're thinking about what the opponent's team is thinking and about the rumors of the supercomputer. Um, and Ivan, I asked about the uh, alleged uh, million dollar chess computer that was supposedly at uh, Team Topalov's disposal during this match. And he said that the the computer existed, but that they weren't able to use it. So that uh, Danilov, um, of course, Topalov's manager, just decided to spread the rumor anyway. Um, but stuff like that, I just want to thank you for writing about stuff like that because uh, chess fans like myself don't generally get that level of detail about what's really going on behind these high-profile matches. So had you caught... Yeah, that computer was a nice thing. I mean, I, I, I always had the feeling that... Uh... You shouldn't worry too much about something that you couldn't get accurate information about because uh, it could turn out to be a myth, but we couldn't ignore it completely. <laughs> so it uh, influenced us in all sorts of ways. But in the end, we just decided that we would leave everything checking a bit longer and uh, that should be enough. And we're... Also, I, I didn't know because I knew that um, uh, Ripka was involved with... Uh, uh, his supercomputer. So I, I knew that the challenge was whether they'd be able to find uh, a version of Ripka that could use that many cores. And of course, this we couldn't uh, find out in any reasonable way. We would have to guess. And uh, um, and it reminded me of um, the time when uh, Kapov had some hypnotist sit in the front row across from Kochnoi. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, uh, the hypnotist ends up being in your own head. <laughs> right. uh, if you think he's there, he's there. And if you think he's not there, he's not there. And, uh, um, I mean, if you put in a hypnotist in the audience and you don't tell your opponent, then you're really missing the main uh, bonus of this approach. That's a really interesting insight. Yeah. And similarly, I, I love the story you shared about that match, about the, the security, the undercover security agent that was um, embedded with your team. Yeah. So when you think back on a match like that, I know that, that you had uh, Susan Nyman help you with this book, and you mentioned in an interview that your wife, Aruna, also was quite helpful. Um, how are you able to to uh, bring up all of the memories, and how do you decide what to share and what not to share? The memories came with three people. So, I mean, several people. So uh, Aruna would... Uh, tell stories to Susan and then suggest uh, stories that Susan, Susan could ask or anecdotes or incidents or whatever that she could uh, explore further. And then Susan would pose the questions to me and I would start talking. And on top of that, Susan would interview some of the uh, my seconds and my family. And she, you know, she spoke to a few people just to get their perspective as well. It's always the unexpected things. I mean, if someone comes up with a story and you suddenly think, hey, that's interesting, you know, why didn't we, why didn't I explore that further? Uh, I may have completely forgotten about it, but somebody else in the family uh, uh, might remember it, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, but this was the flow. Generally, Aruna would consult with Susan and then uh, Susan would then have some material to pose in the form of questions. And um, I let go. I guess it was also a favorable moment for the book because I kind of uh, felt at the stage where I just could... uh, 
talk freely and I mostly did. I mean, there are some things that you don't even think to mention, but for the rest, I pretty much just shared what I um, thought. Um, and also Aruna's memory is very good. And clearly she was there and she shared the same experiences very intensely, but from a different perspective. So um, we tried to take it back and forth. And um, yeah, it it was nice. I mean, this time I, I think I felt much freer than I would have been earlier. And uh, it came across well. So what, why do you think it is that you feel freer at this point? I can't say exactly. Maybe it comes with age or maybe, um, but I had this feeling that, you know, this is a chance to get my views on the record, you know, what I thought of everything, what I, you know, why I did what I did and to get my story across. But I also felt the responsibility, if you like, of, um, I mean, as you can see with the book, uh, Mindmaster is not meant only for chess players. It's, um, it had two objectives. I, I wanted to take chess players behind the scenes, if you like, or what they thought they already knew. But I also wanted to a non-chess playing audience to gain some insight into what goes on in a chess player's head. And of course, you have to do this with stories. You cannot do this with uh, moves and variations. Right. So, um, and I just felt very free. I felt, uh, you know, if somebody's going to give me their time, then I owe them uh, a pretty honest narrative. And I found it liberating as well, that you just talk freely about everything. You say what you thought. And the second thing, why I felt freer, is I feel that enough time has passed for almost all the uh, moments which... Um, would have been very intense. Uh, their effect has passed. I mean, now I remember them, but without the same intensity of emotions. So I could uh, look back and talk about it. But even so, the, I mean, the harder ones you don't want to linger too long, and the pleasant ones you want to go on forever. So there's a bit of that always. Yeah. Well, I, again, it's you guys did a great job. I mean, it, you really do. You you share so much. Um, it should be mentioned for chess fans. There's basically just one diagram per chapter. So as you say, it's not focused on variations, but the the level of uh, insight and detail that it provides is amazing. And I I read my version on Kindle, but the hardcover version, um, or rather the paper, the the physical book is now making its way to the United States. I know that some sites have it, um, and uh, obviously it will become increasingly available over time. So. I give it um, quite a warm recommendation. Um, and I, I had another question from a listener related to world championship matches. This is from a friend and supporter of the podcast, Chris Wainscott. Um, and Chris asks, he says, when putting together a team for a world championship match, do you focus more on how well you work together with the team member or how, we how well they work together with the lead second? For example, in the matches... Uh, covered in your book, was it more important to you that Surya Radek and Rustam meshed well with Peter Heine or with you? Uh, Peter Heine, I uh, I met when we played each other in the 2001 uh, uh, Knockout uh, World Championship. And uh, subsequently, we had been working together for many years. Um, and the rest of the team expanded in this way. I, I would think of someone and then I would ask Peter. And uh, generally, Peter had didn't think that he would have uh, objections to anyone in special. Uh, so unless, unless there was an obvious conflict where two guys had had a falling out earlier, you kind of expect people to just get along. And, and uh, my, that assumption turned out correctly. Of course, they have strong personalities and so on, but everyone's mature. And even if they um, had animated discussions, uh, they knew how to leave it at the... I mean, most chess players already have the experience of playing opponents they don't like, but learning to keep it to the chessboard while you play. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a certain amount of discipline that's uh, 
inculcated and that's it. So um, that wasn't an issue at all. Uh, what I looked for is that um, I would ask someone, I mean, is this something that interests you? Do you want to do it at all? And um, I think most of the people I asked uh, were very enthusiastic because the World Championship was a nice experience for them as well and they were curious and they appreciated the chance to uh, work for that. And uh, uh, Surya I had worked with before uh, and Rustam and I knew reasonably well. I mean, we had had many conversations on and off in all the years that I knew him. So the only person that I picked on a whim was Radek. And, um, but he seemed to me, I mean, I played him in a Bundesliga match and then I took down his uh, phone number and I called him a couple of weeks later. And he, I didn't know him at all, but he seemed like such a quiet, um, I don't want to say well-behaved boy, but you know, just a very mild boy that uh, I couldn't see that that would be a problem. And uh, his games, um, when I was preparing for him, I realized that uh, he was preparing at a very high level and he had lots of interesting ideas and I thought uh, this could be nice. And uh, that team just uh, got to work and they, they were very, very uh, enthusiastic and positive. So uh, there was almost nothing that went wrong there. One interesting story is, of course, that um, uh, at some point Peter Heine called me and he said, uh, you know, Radek and me want to have a private camp of our own before the camp to, to try and think of some ideas. And I thought, okay, that's nice. I mean, uh, both of them are on their own uh, going, let's say, beyond the call of duty because the camp I wasn't going to start for a few months yet. And uh, they were going to start uh, thinking of brainstorming. Um, and uh, it looked like the team was going to get along very well. And it, yeah, and it seems, I mean, you guys mostly had a lot of success, obviously, in the, in the, uh, the three matches described in the book leading up to, um, to the match with Magnus. Um, and so these days, Vishy, um, do you still have a team helping you? Uh, so my, I have one permanent trainer, which is Gayevsky. And then, um, I have, uh, a couple of people that I work with reasonably often. The, Sandipan, who was there with me in St. Louis last year, for instance, he's someone I turn to often. And besides that, I work with a lot of people. A lot of them, some of them are my old friends, but also there are some, I mean, Surya is still someone uh, we catch up as often as we can. I mean, Rustam and Peter are clearly no-go areas. But <laughs> right, yeah. uh, most, of the, most of the other guys uh, keep in touch. and. Uh, yeah, so of course, uh, Vish... Yeah, so kind of it evolves, it evolves, and, and also I I don't need it for tournaments in the same way. I mean, those matches were very special, and uh, it was a different time. And of course, nowadays, my needs are completely different. Not that you uh, don't need to work, but you need to work differently and be much more flexible, and it's hard to predict everything. So uh, it's a different way of thinking. And. And I was struck in your in the description of the matches how different grandmasters, even ones who are not part of the team, um, would would pitch in and help out. Most prominently, of course, uh, Grandmaster Kramnik in the uh, 2010 match. Um, with <laughs> with the World Championship in 2020 coming down the pike, um, and the candidates, of course, coming in April to determine Magnus Carlsen's challenger, do you do you think it's possible that you would help someone or offer a little insight uh, when when the big match takes place later this year? Okay, I mean, I I can't really see that I would get involved. I just don't see that I have the time to be involved in any big way. 
So unless, you know, if either of the participants call me and want to have a chat, we'll probably have a chat. And that you can define almost any way. I mean, it might be a useful chat. It might not be. But, uh, you, you, you know, the player who's going to play takes out of it what he will. But um, I can't really say that I would uh, be involved in either team because uh, I know enough of what my seconds went through to understand <laughs> that I don't, I'm not going to go through a fraction of that. Yeah, so. it's, it's quite striking to read. Uh... I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do anything even remotely close to what Kramnik did. But um, who knows? I mean, if someone calls and has a chat, he has a chat. It might not even be about the match. So, uh, But last two matches, nothing has happened. So make of that what you will. But. And and of course, Vishy, I've been asking all of my guests about the upcoming candidates tournament. Um, uh, most of them have a similar answer about how they, they handicap the chances. Um, based, Fabiano just had that powerhouse performance in Tata Steel, as you mentioned earlier. Um, do do you expect any surprises in in um in the candidates coming up? Well, let's put it this way. I think uh, more or less everyone I've spoken to and everyone uh, just says it's Fabi or Ding for the you know tips for the light, likely winner. Uh, I think um, Ding's strength is that he uh, plays very well in these uh, super top tournaments and uh, he's very solid. I think his uh, something like the candidates is really designed for his style. So that's nice for him. On the other hand, Fabi is scoring very highly. He was plus five in uh, Isle of Man. He was plus seven in Vikenze. You know, if he wins more games than the other guys are able to do, because it's normally a low-scoring event, then people may never catch up. I think it really comes down to these two, and uh, I would put all the others, the other six in the basket of surprise. So anything... Out of these two, I would consider a surprise for me. Um, that said, uh, obviously the field is much tighter and everyone's going to be much more prepared and much more serious. So I don't think Fabi will score seven wins, but um, uh, it really comes down to these two things. Yeah. It, it, it w- I, I can't, I mean, if I had to put money on it, I would put it on these two guys in some proportion, but it's possible, of course, the other six can do something, but uh, it would surprise me. Okay. Well, and tournaments like the candidates and um, and the the world championship later this year, how closely will you watch them? Do you sort of clear your calendar to, to track events or just uh, live your life? Uh, no, I, 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 I enjoyed the candidates last time and um, I was watching the uh, final as well. I mean, these are great events, and they're actually uh, almost like spectator events because everyone's excited, and you know, there's Twitter streams going on, and guys, all your friends are chatting back and forth, and everyone's exchanging. It's it's as close as coming to a huge virtual room where we're watching, and it uh, it's good fun. Um, the aspect is almost social because I feel so distant from it now, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, you still enjoy it a lot, I think. Yeah, it's. Um, I would definitely watch it. The only thing that could really that would really make me not bother is the time difference. So, but it looks like it's going to be the final is going to be in Dubai and yeah, uh, Katherinburg. Uh, I, I don't know the time zone, but it's very close to India. So for the first time, I'm uh, actually in the time zone or within uh, two hours of uh, the event on either side, and uh, so I can't see why I shouldn't watch watch both. But 
So this time, especially, I will watch both because I should be able to watch the whole game without any problems. That's great to hear. And of course, I greatly enjoyed when you popped in on the uh, St. Louis broadcast of the last World Championship. So no pressure. But (laughs) but if you do that again, I'm sure chess fans will enjoy it. well, this this time it's their turn to be song. I mean, last year I was uh, I had to uh, check in at eleven thirty or whenever they wanted to do the interview. But this time, uh, I mean, they, it'll be three in the morning there or something. Wow! So it's their problem. So. Oh, I didn't. Know. <laughs> no, it won't be so bad. It's yeah, maybe like five or six, right? Yeah. If Dubai, then St. Louis is what eleven, twelve hours, something like that. So uh, with India, so it's ten, ten hours maybe with Dubai, and uh, that's where it'll be. But anyway. Huh. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that aspect here in New York. I better better start sleep training. Um, okay, so uh, Vishy, just just one more topic, if you, if you don't mind. Um, a, a listener sent in what I thought was an interesting question about the topic of fame. I know obviously you're you're famous to chess fans throughout the world, but in India, of course, um, of particular notoriety. Um, uh, so, a Patreon supporter of the podcast, Vyacheslav Nemich. Uh, wrote to say, he said, I'd be very curious if he, if you've ever experienced any downsides of being famous. At the Grand Chess Tour Zagreb, I was horrified how everybody was pulling Magnus left and right for an autograph or a photo, like they're in the zoo, in the zoo watching an animal. Um, can you walk into any chess club in peace, or, and do you ever wish that you had a little more breathing space in your life? I have experienced uh, being in crowds where people are very enthusiastic, and then it's a strange dynamic. On the one hand, um, usually I don't mind uh, sticking around and signing a few autographs and photographs because um, I kind of feel conscious that uh, you know these people support me or uh, appreciate what I do, and you know you should make the effort. But then it gets in a very uncom- uh, uncontrollable dynamic where uh, not everyone who wants to autograph or photograph is convinced they will get one. And so there can be a little bit of jostling. And this I find very difficult to get used to because uh, it actually slows me down and doesn't benefit anyone else. But um, uh, so times like that, you get slightly irritated. But mostly, I would say I've only experienced the pleasant side of fame and uh, I've never had a problem with it. If something is annoying, then you just excuse yourself and leave and that's that. But, um, um, you know, I I don't have... um, you know, paparazzi flying over my house, anything <laughs> like that. And and to be honest, I don't give them anything, any hope that they'll find anything interesting. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's a good that's a good antidote for fame. Although, what about walking the streets of Chennai? Uh, this again, I, I mostly enjoy. I I feel it's uh, it's nice when uh, you know, I'm walking on the streets, or and someone stops the car and wants to uh, or uh, wants to take a selfie or something. Um, that's fine. Unless it's it's really halting me, and I mean, we're talking more than 10 minutes or something like that, which doesn't happen that often. Um, it's easier to uh, indulge people than, it takes about the same amount of time to explain to them why it can't be done as to just do it. So I just finish it and uh, walk on, and, uh, and and people are very, and fans are very sweet about it, so I, it feels uh, incorrect uh, to then throw a kick up of us. Well, it sounds like you have a good perspective about that. Um, so I've interviewed a lot of uh, well-known title players, and I often ask them for for stories about like brushes with with chess legends. And of course, some of these brushes have involved you you yourself, Vishy, um, uh, as the subject of the story. But uh, I was curious if you've had any pinch me moments in your life, whether they be a brush with a chess celebrity or someone from outside the chess sphere. Have you ever had any any moments in your life where you you felt 
like on even more so than usual, um, uh, like um, privileged to be in a particular moment? I've had some uh, nice moments. Well, the two, my two favorite ones happened. Well, one happened uh, when I was 18. I'd just become a grandmaster. And I was uh, traveling on a train. You should you should imagine 1988. Uh, no mobile phones, no internet, and even not that many photos published in newspapers. Uh, you have to think back to a different time to understand why it's a kind of a nice story. So I'm traveling in this train, and the man next to me, um, elderly gentleman, he um, starts talking to me. This may already come as, as a surprise to a modern generation, but we not everyone was buried in their own phones in those days. <laughs> right. So uh, human contact is something uh, I vaguely recall from those days. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he started chatting in this normal sort of inquisitive Indian way. He said, uh, young man, what do you do? Uh, where are you going to? And, and so on. So I told him, oh, you know, I'm traveling. And it turned out we were going to the same city. And then uh, he said, what do you do? And I said, um, I'm a chess player. I expected him to be thrown off slightly, but he said, um, oh, okay, and what do you do? So <laughs> right. I, said, I said, no, I'm a chess player. I, you know, I play competitions and so on. And so I emphasize again, um, even though I had been famous for about five or six months, I mean, there had been a lot of coverage of me, uh, there were a lot of people who, who weren't completely familiar with my face at that point. Anyway, so he then said, uh, Okay, so you play in competitions, yes. But uh, what do you do? And then I said, no, I'm a chess professional. I'm going to make a living from chess. And uh, he said, but um, do you have a job planned? <laughs> and I said, no. Anyway, this is kind of the general trend in the conversation. And by this point, I, I, I began to suspect that he had never heard my name. So uh, he then said... Um, you know, young man, if uh, you don't mind a bit, a bit of advice, I think it's a very risky career move. Uh, sports is a very unpredictable career. And again, you have to think back to 1988. Sports was, as a career, was not that well accepted in India, at least, as now. So uh, it was um, sensible advice, except um, the final sentence will be interesting. He said, um, you know, sports is a very unpredictable career and... Uh, you should really give this more thought. But if you were Vishwanathan Anand, then you would be able to make a living with chess. But otherwise, I think you shouldn't take the plunge. <laughs> so, I mean, I've never, I've never had an experience after that which stopped that story. Yeah, I love that story um, in your book. So, did you, did you break the news to him that you were in fact Vishwanathan Anand? <laughs> no, I was. I didn't <laughs> kept it uh, secret. I just. I just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, well, the thing is, I didn't know how to say it after that, so I kind of just let it drop. So that, yeah, that story is reasonably well known, but it's... Uh, it's amazing, and, and you... It, it's, hard to, it's hard to top that one. But you mentioned you have a second one? Well, there was a sort of sequel, which is once I was in the, and this happened in 2010, so I was at the airport at the hand luggage uh, security, so I put my bags into the... Uh, belt and then I crossed over and a man started looking at me then looked away then he looked at me again then looked away and kept doing this again and again and I remember that uh, I had the feeling that his my 
fake seemed familiar to him, but he couldn't place me exactly. So this went on a bit, and then I crossed and I went over to the other side, um, finished my examination, then pulled out my bag and uh, packed it in, and uh, and then I turned and to the corner of my eye, I saw that uh, he had this look on his face. Ah, I finally got who he is. So um, and then once he collects his bag, he comes up to me later and says. Uh, by the way you were fantastic in your last film which which i thought was funny but it's a very nice sequel to the original story right. so it's <laughs> that's great um okay so vishy what's what's your next tournament where where can we root for you next well i'm going to play in grenka next and um yeah that's that's uh, the plan as of now excellent so that's so i'm actually going to be free to watch that. you fabiano magnus carlson that that should be fun Okay. Well, well, Vishy, I want to thank you so much. This has been uh, the thrill of a lifetime for me. Um, and uh, you've told great stories and highly recommend Mindmaster for everyone listening. Um, so, so many more great stories and insight like uh, Grandmaster Anand has shared today. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my producer, Matthew Passy, for his timely and capable editing, Chessable.com for their generous support of the show. But I also want to thank everyone who helps spread the word about Perpetual Chess, whether it be by telling a friend, writing a positive review on Spotify or YouTube, or we could use some new reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please write a quick review. It helps spread the word about Perpetual Chess. But most of all, I want to thank the people who support the show financially people who donate via paypal or patreon really help me continue to sustain and grow perpetual chess and those who donate more than five dollars a month get their name or entity's name read on the outro that's about to happen right now so i would like to give special thanks to the following people and entities for their generous support of perpetual chess they are chessable.com quality chess books the capital city chess club the apprentice twitch channel andrew bach austin clough benjamin porto kathy carr chad oliver dan o'hanlon danny davidson david schreiber i am dimitri schneider faras sawaf gary foreman greg natel greg shahadi guvin manet jens green john jernigan john rockefeller john cromarty john MacArthur, kelly palmer kevin o'callaghan lone pine chess lorraine deray Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Kahn, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Moonmaster, we need a question from you. Is everything okay? We need you to send in a listener question. Peter Sadi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, and Todd Kennedy. I would also like to thank the following Rook Level supporters. They include Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Terakov, Andrew Perry, Anidi Deer, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, David Bleskachak, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am elect or possibly not I am elect. I don't know if three norms makes him an I am elect. Donnie Ariel. Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Latarte Lavoie, Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, 
Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Hans Schutt, Harish Srinivasan, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Banastia, James Murr, Jason Anfang, Jason Willem, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, JJ Stranod, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, WGM Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyavsky, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Miguel Araspide, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passaman, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbeck, Roy Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube Channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Hogarth, William Peterson, FM Zhao Jang of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, for listening and interacting with the Perpetual Chess community, and I will catch you guys next week. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.